to him who remembers us in our lowest state and frees us from our enemies. His love endures forever. Amen. Please be seated. I was sitting in the basement chapel of a large retreat center in Weston, Mass. The chapel had beautiful old pews and a massive marble altar, two steps up from the main floor. The chapel had been abandoned years earlier in favor of a more modern chapel on the second floor. I figured I'd be safe down there. No one used the space anymore. The organizers of the spiritual direction training program I'd signed up for had decided to launch their program with a retreat weekend, the Friday night of which had the assignment, pray with your desire. I hated that assignment. I had no idea what my desire was. So I just sat there in the front pew in this remote, dimly lit chapel. Now what, Lord? What do I want? What is my desire? Would you show me, I prayed. Eventually, just sitting there, I felt too distant from the altar, so I got up and moved to the foot of the steps leading up to the altar, off center, a bit to the left, and dropped to my knees. I knelt there in silence, utter silence for a while, And then my body really needed to lean forward, so I let it. And I noticed my arm really needed to reach towards the altar, so I let it. I leaned and stretched and reached my arm so far forward that my stomach was on the steps and my face ended up on the altar altar level floor. What does this mean? What are you showing me, Lord? I spoke into the floor. And suddenly I knew. I was reaching out my hand to Jesus just like the woman with the issue of blood had reached out to Jesus. Like her, I wanted healing. My desire was healing. For decades, I'd been living life through a veil of pain because of chronic migraines. I'd been to doctors, neurologists, chiropractors, and a therapist. I'd done acupuncture, acupressure, neurofeedback, even a six-week stint at the pain management clinic at Spalding Rehab. Knowing that Anglican priests and many non-denominational pastors all believed that Jesus still did miracles today, I went to every healing and deliverance service and conference I could go to. Globally renowned itinerant prophets and healing prayer ministers all prayed for me, but I still got migraines. I asked an Anglican priest if I should stop seeking relief, like Paul, who prayed three times for relief, and God told him, my strength is made perfect in weakness. But the Anglican priest said, no, keep coming. Keep reaching out to Jesus. Finally, in desperation, I asked a world-renowned prophet that I happened to know if God had anything to say to me about the migraines. He closed his eyes a minute, and when he opened them, he said, I think 
that God wants you to know that when you give your life over completely to Jesus, the headaches will stop. In that chapel at the retreat center, the image of the woman with the issue of blood had come to me. I'd seen her reaching out to Jesus with all her heart, mind, soul, and strength for healing, putting her life completely in Jesus' hands. The account of her being healed came to us through Mark. Mark hadn't been a disciple of Jesus. He'd come on the scene after the resurrection, first as a companion to Peter, then with Paul, I'm sorry, with Barnabas, and eventually with Paul. By the time Mark started compiling Peter's stories, particularly the miracle stories from Jesus' time, Mark had started seeing for himself as he traveled with Barnabas and Paul, continuing evidence of miracles being done in Jesus' name. People by the score were reaching out to Jesus and being changed. As Mark traveled, an urgency to tell these stories grew in him, and you can hear it in the way he writes, and he just gets right to the point. He had an urgency because simultaneous with this good news that was breaking out, he'd seen darkness gathering in the world. Christians had become marginalized under Caligula. Paul was arrested. And depending on the exact timing of when he wrote it, he might also have witnessed Christians and Jews being persecuted and killed under Nero and heard of James, the brother of Jesus and bishop of Jerusalem, being killed. Mark could be next on the kill list. Time was short. Battered and endangered, new Christians in his time needed lots of hot coals of testimony placed on their embers of faith to strengthen their trust in Jesus, to be comforted, and to be assured about Jesus' love and care for them. The Old Testament began with, in the beginning, God. The New Testament begins with Mark, who said, the beginning of the good news of Jesus, the Messiah. He gets right to it. Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one. A little bit later in that chapter, he wrote, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So after a brief account of Jesus' identity, baptism, test in the wilderness, calling of his disciples, boom, Mark starts right in with the miracles. Right there, still in chapter 1. The early church would be reminded of the paradigm shift that happened with Jesus. Jesus, God had come to earth as Jesus and now was drawing each of them in love personally and tangibly, not just restricting his drawing near to prophets or to priests who trembled once a year before the Holy of Holies. Through these accounts, the endangered and suffering hearers of Mark's gospel would learn that Jesus has the authority and power to forgive sins and take away shame remove diseases and demons, ease suffering, and even undo death. 
These were important reassurances for the early church, whose imaginations and vision needed to be built up and to remember. Could they see that the glory of God's presence had not only become visible in the past, but was still becoming visible in their time? Could they see that God's self-giving love was manifesting in those around them to all who reached out to Jesus? The time has come, he wrote. Believe the good news, Jesus had said. Mark describes example after example of people crowding in on Jesus to hear his teachings and to reach out to him or even just his clothing to receive healing. It wasn't just the woman with the issue of blood. Whether the miracles occurred in the midst of crowds or with just a few witnesses, Jesus always had an accompanying lesson or instruction. The miracles, in a sense, were his teaching tools. The earliest lessons in Mark were the unexplained, picture is worth a thousand words style. That's the style they came in. He simply tells us that Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law of her fever. In the evening of that day, he simply describes that many more healings came. Taken together, these early healings revealed not only that God does miracles in the first place, but actually more importantly, that he has compassion on all who reach out to him, whether or not they have connections to Jesus like Simon's mother-in-law had, whether or not they were a prophet or a priest. Jesus taught through his actions that his presence in people's lives could be personal and tangible. They needed real help, not conceptual help. Again and again, Mark uses the power of repetition, miracle after miracle, of people's lives being tangibly changed. That God's love could be tangible was a lesson God wanted me to know this past Christmas. A couple of days before Christmas, four crazy things happened, any one of which would have been, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And four of them happened. First, I got a call from a small Cape Ann theater that I'd won $500 from their summer fundraising lottery. I have never won anything, even at birthday parties all growing up. (laughs) Second, later that night, Dennis and I went out to dinner with a daughter at a favorite restaurant in town, and the owner, seeing us, went to the wine holder thing and pulled out a bottle of champagne, came to our table and said, hi, I'd like you to have this free bottle of champagne. (laughs) Third, Uh, The next day, my daughter and I went to a wonderful bakery in Beverly Farms, and I was buying some things, and they said, here, take another thing of English muffins, and here's some um, free rolls. Fourth, I was given free duck and chicken breasts from our local uh, grocery store because of a mix-up, saving us about $60 for our Christmas dinner. This is just... Why I'm still unpacking, why does God want want me to know that his love still today is 
tangible. Like for, just, it is tangible. He wanted to reassure me. I think that his love is still personal and have it be part of a sermon so I can reassure you that as long as we reach out, I mean, I was reaching out for decades, but it is tangible. His love will manifest in each of our lives. Mark, through all of his miracle accounts and writings, was stirring up and answering important questions and answers. Who was this man named Jesus through whom God was manifesting a fatherly intimacy, calling people son and daughter? Who was this man, Jesus, who showed glimpses of the glory of God, yet used personal, familial language displaying an intimacy they had no idea they could have with Yahweh, before whom prophets bowed and priests trembled once a year in the Holy of Holies. This morning, we heard of a woman with an incurable chronic condition, an unending issue of blood. She got healed. This type of chronic condition had put her in a perpetual state of uncleanness and isolation for 12 long years. She wasn't allowed to touch or be touched by anyone without subjecting the person who touched her to seven days of isolation for cleansing. I can only imagine the mounting shame she felt socially shunned by everyone as they steered well clear of her. Religiously, her sickness would have been perceived a punishment of some sort for something she had done to offend God. So instead of sympathy, she would have been shunned. She couldn't even go to the synagogue. By the time Jesus came into the woman's town, Capernaum, she was broke and desperate, having spent all her money on physicians, trying to effect a cure but to no avail. In fact, she was worse off than ever. With desperation, determination, faith, and courage, she decided to throw herself into the crowd, be touched and touched people jostling around, and just go for it, putting all her life and future and faith in Jesus. She modeled for us what complete faith looks like, reaching out to Jesus with all her heart, mind, soul, and strength to receive healing, come what may. When Jesus talked with her afterwards, he rightly exclaimed, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. We also heard this morning of a sick child. She couldn't reach out in faith. She was dead. But her father, Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, could and did reach out. The daughter had been fine for the 12 years that the woman had been suffering. She was 12 years old and now had died. 
Her father modeled the importance of reaching out in behalf of someone else, even if it's fraught with risk from his peers. A Jewish synagogue ruler reaching out to Jesus? By the time Jesus got to Jairus' house, we heard the daughter had died. But death was reversed that day when he healed her. Taken together, these two stories of the woman with the issue of blood and the Jairus' daughter being raised from the dead, these stories would offer hope to the suffering endangered people of the early church. And I think they offer hope to us today. The early church was getting desperate and had exhausted all earthly fixes to their predicaments to no avail. In fact, they were getting killed. They needed to hear the stories of people before them who'd had determination and courage to reach out to Jesus and to keep reaching out, putting their whole life and trust in him. Whether they'd been in distress 12 years, like the woman, or two days, like the 12-year-old daughter. Mark was urgent to get these stories out so as to inflame the early church with determination, courage, and faith. Regular people like you and me, likewise, I think, need to be encouraged to reach out, particularly in the face of long-suffering chronic conditions that just seem like, what am I going to do? How did the people of Capernaum respond to this miracle? How did they respond to Jairus' daughter being raised from the dead? Word would have gotten out. And the woman with the issue of blood suddenly being healed. Capernaum was, by the way, uh, in a main trading village. They would have heard of the story Father Tim said last week, told us last week about the legion delivered and the demons went into the pigs. They would have heard that. They were on the trading route in this Genesaret area. They would have maybe even heard of another town nearby where the 5,000 were fed. Capernaum itself had had 13 miracles, unlike most towns that had maybe one or two, because then Jesus would move on. So how did Capernaum, whose name literally means the village of comfort, respond to their witnessing of the glory of God clearly breaking in through Jesus with his love and care and healing in their midst? How did the village of comfort respond? Well, they chose the comfortable route. They rejected Jesus. Matthew and Luke both report its chilling fate when they quoted Jesus saying, and you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. Knowing what is going on in many of your lives, I know there are people with chronic conditions. I know that they're uh, young and old who have and are continuing to suffer. I know uh, someone in our midst who modeled reaching out when she had cancer. And 
Jesus through the body of Christ and a lot of prayer, she's healed. We have the whole loop, desperate need, been wanting healing for years and healing that did happen eventually. I can't explain God's timing of when he brings us relief. His ways are not our ways, as the scripture says, and it's gonna be different for each of us. Because there's usually, as in Mark, there was always a lesson underneath the miracle. It was never really just about healing someone. There's a lesson underneath it. For me, I guess I was a tough nut to crack. It took 40 years to get that lesson to come to fruition in me. The psalmist of Psalm 77 wrote, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. Where are we on the desperation, determination, faith, and courage journey? Are we desperate for any change for ourselves or for others? If we're doing just fine, but know of others who desperately need something, are we reaching out like Jairus to Jesus on their behalf? Are we determined to seek help in Jesus? Have we given all of our hearts, minds, souls, and strengths completely to Jesus? Have we given our very lives to him Come what may. Are we courageously reaching out to Jesus, no matter the consequences to ourselves? Down in that retreat center chapel, my body showed me I must have been desperate and determined. And then I had faith that there was no other name under heaven given Uh, among humanity by which we must be saved or healed, the same translation for that one, one word. I literally experienced myself reaching out to Jesus, but truth to tell, it did take 40 years for me to give all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, my very life, come what may, to Jesus. It's this come what may part that was the tricky thing. And I experienced, I am very happy to report, relief from migraines, just as the prophet had foretold three years ago. I guess for me, it was getting ordained. That was the come what may, just do it. It's gonna be different for every person here. When I pray, I usually actually don't get on my knees and bow my head. I lie on my back, bed, floor, bench, wherever, fully exposed and vulnerable. And I reach out my hands into the air for Jesus. Just like the Psalm, I stretch out my arms at night, untiring hands. You no doubt pray in a different way. But let's pray now. Let's just pray. And then I'm going to ask Matt to come up here and we'll continue our prayers with the prayers of the people, which are 
uh, in, in, on your phones. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you that you are actually the author of each of our stories. You are um, so aware, so personally aware of each son and daughter that intimately you know and love that have big stuff that is really affecting their lives daily. I pray, Lord, we pray, Lord, that even now in this moment, you would reach out and touch them. Bless them with healing and help in the areas of their need. Hold them and protect them. Journey with them in ways that they can see, like you gave me the rolls and the English muffins. Show them little tangible ways. You are walking with them. You do see them. Bless them, Lord, and heal them in Jesus' name. And now, Matt, could you come up? And we're just going to continue in this this, uh, spirit of prayer. Jesus calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let's pause for a moment as we bring ourselves, our needs, and the needs of this world to him. 